Refreshingly honest, bold and brutally frank, this is Bareface Stories. Because she said, I hear you're having a hard time at the moment. And I looked at her and I'm freaking out and I say, oh, I'm ah, oh, I'm ah. And she looks deeply into my eyes and says, I know what you are. storyteller for this week is Paul Wurzel Montague. He is one of my favourite stand-up comedians and I've known Wurz for years but this is the remarkable thing about bareface stories. You think you know someone and then they get up on stage and they share a part of their lives that they've had under lock and key for a long time. And for Wurz, he told the story of what had been happening in his life for the last 12 months. And I tell you what, there were a bunch of us there who are good friends of Wurz, and we didn't know, we didn't know the depth of this story. And I'm so glad he shared it. So glad. Before that story, though, I don't know about you, but after a long day in lockdown, there is nothing like a refreshing G and T. But you got to drink the good stuff. And how do you know it's good? Well, you put the head distiller of Old Young's handcrafted spirits through the ringer. And get your facts straight. True or false, a bottle of gin from 1736 might contain turpentine, sulfuric acid and kerosene. True, definitely the the kerosene or turpentine. Oh, really? Yeah, it was uh, not a real good time for gin. True or false, a bottle of Old Young's 1829 is made with Tuscan juniper berries, lemon myrtle and cardamom. True. Old Young's is in Perth's Swan Valley. Gin-tristing stories, gin-toxicating spirits. And now here's Wurzel Montague. Hi, how are we? So, look, last year in many ways was a very good one. Uh, I succeeded over the space of eight months in losing about 50 kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still quite fat, but I was really very fat, so... No, it was a lot of progress and it was very exciting. I've struggled with weight all my life and so to lose so much so quickly was very encouraging. It did lead to two fairly serious uh, sort of, you know, health detriments. Um, the first one was I ran into some serious bowel issues, folks. Turns out, pro tip, you need to keep food moving through your bowels. Uh, so that's one of the bad things about starving yourself for months is that everything just packs up and it fucks with your shit, quite literally. So... <laughs> Um, so that was bad. Uh, learned a lesson there. The other health detriment was, uh, over a space of months without seeing it coming, I lost my fucking mind. Uh, so, um, so I, sh- I should, I should qualify that by saying, so I've known, uh, since my early thirties, I'm in my mid forties now, that I have bipolar disorder, bipolar one, as we call it, it's the best one. Um, that's, <laughs> it's the top one. Uh, I, uh, I've probably had it, my doctors think, since childhood, but it was my early 30s when it was finally picked up and it explained a lot of shit uh, that went in my teenage years and 20s uh, in particular. Um, my, I inherited that from my dad. Is that the one thing I got from him? Um, he, uh, but here's the thing, right? So bipolar 1 uh, can be the most fun because you, you sort of have equal amounts of manic 
and depression, right? Sort of manic episodes, depressive episodes, they tend to equal out over the whole. Unlike poor old bipolar, two people get depressed far more often with barely any of the fun stuff, right? So, but I'd always looked at that bipolar one diagnosis and thought, because it always sort of says there with some psychotic features, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm not freaking psychotic. I do stupid shit while manic. Uh, like really, really dumb, narcissistic, stupid, reckless stuff, like blow your life up type stuff, which I've done on several occasions. I've done stupid shit, unwise shit, hurtful shit, but I've never gone insane. This is the thing. And with my looking at my dad, who had the same diagnosis, he was batshit mental. Um, every few years, particularly under stress, he'd start hearing voices, seeing shit that wasn't there, full kind of like schizoid symptoms, right? And I'm like, well, I'm not that. Over the years, I've become pretty good at managing uh, my bipolar and that, I, I, I look at it like a physiological thing, right? I read it in my body. So, for example, I'm not a person who likes getting out of bed. Uh, probably live my life in bed if I could. If I jump out of bed first thing in the morning going, feeling great today, that's a pretty good sign I'm on the swing up, right? Uh, <laughs> if I've had four hours sleep, I'm like, fuck yeah, bring on the day. It's like, oh shit, I'm sick, right? Um, that's a, you know, and whereas once I would encourage that and just write it, um, I've, I've learned over time, no, no, the hours of time to sort of, you know, reset, reset the body. Um, in the same way that, that a creeping depression coming on feels like a kind of sickness, like a flu taking over. Problem being last year, I lost so much weight so fast that on almost a weekly basis, my energy levels were increasing, I didn't need as much sleep, my sleeping was improved, my breathing got better, my lung capacity increased, my hormone levels picked up. Who knew, right? Uh, like being morbidly obese is bad for you. And suddenly, <laughs> I started to feel really great, right? On top of the world, chipper, right? Had a lot more energy, a lot lighter on my feet, doing a lot more physically, a lot more active. And because this is all going on, like physically, literally, because I'm losing all this body mass and feeling really good about myself, I didn't stop for a second to go, oh, wait, wait a minute. And so the upshot of all that was, looking back, I think I spent months hypermanic, right? So hypermanic is, is, is that's, that's hypo, right? Slightly less than manic. Hypomanic is fucking grouse. Uh, it's the best time. It's like having just like three Dexies in your coffee in the morning. It's just, you know, get so much shit done. Uh, I was reading all my books before my uni classes. I was getting everywhere 15 minutes early. My tax was done on time. Like I should have, I should have spotted all these things and realised, oh no, wait, I'm creeping up. Now the problem being in the past, I know, because hypermanic is so good. It's so good. The temptation is to surf it, and if you surf it too long, you can tip into full-blown mania, right? And 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 that makes you a maniac, and that's not a comfortable way to live your life, right? Certainly not for the people around you. Um, so I did not see it coming. Again, I'm thinking all this improvement in my energy, it, it's, it's, all just, it's all just the weight loss. And, and the two things were definitely related, but it was kind of the Trojan horse that hid what was going on in my brain, right? So probably about a week out from the day my brain snapped, uh, it became clear to myself and my family that I probably was heading into a mania, a dysphoric mania. Uh, dysphoria meaning one that's not fun. Okay, so I was unable to sleep, very jittery, um, stuttering a lot, just like someone who's just over-caffeinated, right? Just the, just the whole time and overstimulated by sound and, and, and kind of light and, and just generally looking incredibly dysfunctionally anxious. 
um, and I did have a tough week, and so I pulled back from a bunch of commitments, pulled out of gigs, kind of kind of hid, um, popped a bunch of sedatives and antipsychotics, um, which is kind of what you do, try and bring yourself back down, and just generally hid away from life for a while. The Saturday morning came around of that week, and there was somewhere I needed to be. Uh, so, you know, I medicated the shit out of myself and went to this incredibly stressful meeting that I knew was going to be a bad time. On the way... Uh, my wife drives me because I don't trust myself to drive. I'm in that kind of state. Uh, we drop my daughter off at her mum's on the way. Uh, go inside to have a cup of tea. And, and this is going to sound so much like I'm blaming my ex-wife uh, for me being crazy. It wasn't her fault exactly, but th that was kind of the defining landmark in the moment uh, where she looked at me and she said, and she handed me this like crocheted blanket, uh, and she said, this is for you for spiritual protection. Uh, and whereas normally, uh, under normal circumstances, I would respond to that going, okay, thank you, good, uh, good on you with your crocheting spiritual armour, uh, well done. In that space, my head was right, then I just, I just, my head's off, right, why do I need spiritual protection, what's out to get me, you know, what's happening, um, and because she said, I hear you're having a hard time at the moment. And I looked at her and I'm freaking out and I say, Olama, Olama, and she looks deeply into my eyes and says, I know what you are. And that was the moment, right? It was like my brain just fractured. And, and then suddenly I just start going, what am I? What am I? What is this truth everyone else knows that I don't know, right? What's the secret? What's this revelation? So suddenly I start spouting all this nonsense, trying to guess what's going on with me, while my ex-wife, my wife and my daughter are all looking at me going, fucking what? <laughs> and here's the thing, right? I have a master's degree in theology and I also have a lifelong nerd obsession with all kinds of esoterica, right? Everything from the Freemasons to the Knight Templar to every weird secret arcane organisation that's ever been based in society. I've read it all, right? So I am my head is just going with it through this sort of encyclopedic library of what the fuck could be going on, right? Am I, am I somebody reborn? Like all these, all these quizzes going through my, I'm the anointed, but there's some, my head just goes here, right? And, and I'm freaking out. And I, I start asking all these questions. And, and my wife very rightly says, would you like to come with me? And, uh, and I said, are you asking me to submit to your authority? Uh, to which she said, Yep, I went, okay. Um, uh, and we drove to Fiona Stanley Hospital and, and then proceeds the weirdest time where, I don't know if you've ever had like a mental health triage while on a dissociative break, but the shit gets weird. Because uh, again, this is all a guessing game to me, right? So every question the nurses or doctors ask me, I'm looking at them going, uh-huh, because it's all code to me, right? They're giving me clues of something I'm supposed to figure out. How are you feeling today? how am I supposed to be feeling, right? Um, and, and everything's just so, so, you know, it's building and it's building. And I'm, I'm kind of hyper-suggestible too. I'm so, I'm just yes-anding everything. They're like, can you lie on your back with your legs folded with the lights off for a while? Yes, I can. You fucking watch me. And um, everything's a challenge and I'm nailing it, right? I'm just nailing it. This goes on, I'm, I'm left alone there for some time. I actually get up, walk out of the room, because I'm manic, right? I'm going to move. And I, I walk outside, and by this time, there's two big burly security guards staying there. I'm like, we're just going to walk you down to the assessment unit, right? 
So I go into the mental health assessment unit at Fiona Stanley. I don't know why the fuck I'm there except there's something to figure out, right? And the obvious thing to my mind is that everyone around me is in on it, right? Everyone around me is some kind of actor in this Truman Show kind of style. And it's just up to me in kind of an escape room way to figure out the codes, the clues, break the puzzle of what's happening, right? And if you are relying on insane people uh, to get your social bearings, you'll have a pretty rough time. Uh, uh, amongst the, I spent, ended up feeling four or five days uh, in that particular assessment unit. Uh, uh, there was a lovely, I became buddies with a lovely uh, Islamic guy who was convinced that he was the Prophet Muhammad reborn. And um, he, he, uh, he told me that I was John the Baptist reborn. And uh, that seemed like really good intel for about 10 minutes. So I thought, mm, maybe not. And, uh, but here's the thing, I, I, make, I mock it now, right? I mock it as if I was loose at the time, but at the, I, was, I was taking anything I could get my hands on, right? What is it? What's the and it wasn't always spiritual. It, it was sometimes it was, what is it? Am I bisexual? Uh, am I transgender? What's this big realization about myself that I'm missing here, right? There's, there's obviously something I need to discover to like to, that I've got to progress through. There's some sort of revelation, and I'm looking for it. I'm asking, um, and I'm looking at all these other social cues from the patients, right? Who all like to protect their confidentiality. They're all using like um, sort of assumed names. They interact with the staff and this kind of thing. And I'm watching all this going on. Going, oh right, okay. So some new identity I need to progress to. It's getting fucking weird and and because I'm convinced it's all some big game to solve so I'm going out of my room like Santa Claus at night leaving presents for each patient and all the staff members and if I just get the code right I give her a book I give him my jacket if I just get this like some sort of video game if I just get this all right I'll, I'll, I'll like level up something will happen right all this weird behavior is too much for them after a while. They're like, no, you need to be in a proper nut bin. They don't say those words to me. Uh, I, I, so some am very serious looking ambulance officers arrive and they escort me uh, in the ambulance. And that is a weird ride. Because, cause, cause, you know, the thing is, they know I'm psychotic. I have no fucking idea, right? So no one said this to me. And this is one thing I found about going through the mental health system as an involuntary patient. No one talks straight to you. No one gives you any actual useful information. No one says, oh, you know how you're bipolar? Well, you're manic off your tits and probably having a dissociative break right now. You can't trust anything you're perceiving or thinking. No one gives you that. That would be good news. That, that actually would have, I could have done something with that. But everyone's looking at you going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you're reading... And when you're reading far too much into every silence, every waggle of an eyebrow, right, that's just constantly reaffirming this, oh, shit, okay, there's more here, there's more here, right? I knew it, I knew it. And you just keep fishing and looking and... This ambulance ride arrive at the Alma Street uh, ward of the Fremantle Public Hospital and, and um, you know, full respect and love to anybody who's been there, don't out yourself here tonight. <laughs> it's not that kind of a show. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's not an easy place to be. It's not an easy place to be, particularly if you don't understand you being there. So Alma Street, it's a public hospital. Um, there's a lot of people in there coming down from meth psychosis. Everyone in there has got some pretty serious skeletons in the closet. We're talking about people who have been in domestically violent relationships on either side. People who are hiding from abusive spouses. Um, people with all kinds of drug histories. People who are often there uh, from the prison system um, because they need that level of psychiatric kind of intervention for a time before going back uh, into like heavy security or whatever. It's, it's a pretty lockdown kind of a world and I'm in that no idea why I'm there and and again talking to the other patients 
uh, for reassurance. And it's only now, looking back for some sanity, that I realised that guy I was taking all the tips from was grooming me to like be part of his white supremacist organisation. Um, this is like I, I didn't see. I thought the best in anyone. Didn't see anyone's agenda. Um, didn't realise anyone would be sort of feeding me or trying to uh, lies for their own agenda or trying to manipulate me. Um, it was the strangest and weirdest fucking thing. And I'm just thinking, okay, just go with the game, go with the game, go with the game. Five days in Elmer Street, and I decide, you know what, fuck this. I'm not smart enough, I can't figure out the puzzle. I've tried and I'm tried, but I'm tired of being away from my family. I don't like being here. I feel like I'm in school camp. This is fucked up. I never enjoyed them back in the day. <clears throat> and so uh, I turned to this one patient that I've buddied up with, the white supremacist, go figure, and... Uh, I say to him, all right, I give up. Uh, and, oh, I should say, this in the past, this is in my weird life, I've been paid as an actor to pretend to be a mental patient or a mental hospital staff member uh, for immersion training. So to me, the idea that this has all been set up, it's, it's all pretty logical. It's pretty reasonable. So I'm ready to end it. And I say to him, okay, so what's a safe word? I give up. What's a safe word? Um, how do I quit this? And he goes, back off. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? He goes, what part of back off don't you understand? I'm like, well, that's fucking rude. Uh, I, I, uh, the nurse finds me, and, and one of the nurses finds me and, uh, and, and goes to give me my medications for the day, and I say, no. And she's like, I'm sorry? I'm like, no, I won't be taking those. And she's like, what? And I'm like, no, look, you've been giving me these for days. They're all highly addictive. There's only one class of antipsychotic that works for me. I know that. Um, I don't know what Groundhog Day game we're playing here, but I won't get better on those. Um, I'm confused. You're not explaining anything to me. I'm not going to take your medication. Shit hits the fan, right? It gets real. All the other um, patients are, like, sequestered away into the gymnasium of all places. Not much of a gymnasium. They won't give crazy people cool shit to play with. Um, <laughs> more like some yoga mats and a couch. Anyway, it was... Uh, so they all squisted away into the gymnasium. All the staff come out and surround me, and they're like, "You need to take your medication." I'm like, "Well, I'm not fucking taking it. That's that's that." Um, and uh, and it gets weird, right? And I become this bush lawyer. I pull out my admissions paperwork and say, "You people need to explain me under whose power I'm holding." And I just bush lawyer up and start arguing with them all. Who the fuck are you to tell me I can't go home? It gets it gets serious, right? I, I'm not particularly angry, I'm not threatening, but I'm standing my ground and I'm saying, I don't know what's happening. Tell anyone how to explain to you what the fuck is happening. No, I'm not taking your drugs. I'm not... This plays out for a while and they're like, we're going to call security. I'm like, yes, please, please call fucking security. Like, let's get some sense in this motherfucker, okay? Get security down here because I might actually trust those dudes. And sure enough, security rock up, right? And there's like a Pacific Islander guy, maybe he's Maori, I don't know, Fijian, something. He's fucking, he's, a ma he's one of those massive dudes, right? He's like six foot seven, huge. Uh, and he's joined by another dude with a goatee, right? About, about my size. And the two of them look at me and I, I look at, the big Pacific Islander guy who's just kind of cheerfully smiling at me because he knows he can break me like a twig, right? And I'm looking at the goatee guy who's looking at me hard and flinty eyes, like he might need to take me down in any second. And I'm going, oh, finally some fucking truth, right? And I said that to all the staff here. I'm like, I don't believe any of you. I believe these guys. I can see the intent in their eyes, right? It's finally some fucking honesty. And they're like, will you take the pills? I'm like, no, I will not. And they're like, we are going to take you down and sedate you. I'm like, fucking do it. Um, and so these two massive dudes, it becomes this huge thing. And, and the whole, I'm rushing into the rubber room. I'm, I'm pushed down on the ground. They rip my shirt up. And they, they stab me in the kidneys with these massive frigging needles um, full of sedation. And here's the thing. That sounds like a terrible woman. And it was. It was traumatic in a sense. But lying there 
on that thin mat on a concrete floor with like a monkey pile of like seven medical professionals and two security guards on top of me, like being like, like you know, forced sort of injected sedatives into my back. It was then that I thought, oh, I get this. I know what's happening. I'm crazy and this is a mental hospital. <laughs> it seriously was the beginning of liberation and, and kind of in that position to be literally just humiliated, right, in the sense of just grounded, that is fucking rock bottom, I went, okay, I know how to get out of this. I know how to get home. I know how to get my life back. This is the rules of a game I can follow. Um, and so from that point onwards, I just became professional patient number one, right? I was, I was haughty man after that. I wouldn't engage with anybody. The other patients come and talk to me, and I'm like, well, I don't think your advice has been helpful so far, sir, so step away. Uh, <laughs> or the nurse that came to me and she said, do you still believe all those things you were saying the other day? It doesn't matter what I believe, does it? Step away. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and after some time, yeah, was, was sort of put into the, uh, you know, into the voluntary ward and then given some day release and then got to go back to my fucking life. And, and, and it wasn't easy. It was a very shameful thing for a long time. Um, being an outpatient in the public mental hospital system where you're sort of required to turn up and see the same doctors or the same nurses who you kind of had a traumatic experience with for a long time, um, and, and going through that whole spiral of, in a sense, my brain coming back from that level of injury, because I've never before, I've always relied on my intuition, my gut instinct, my ability to read a room. Um, I've always been able to talk down angry people or, or sort of comfort uh, a sad or upset person. To lose that completely, to have that side of you, that sort of social bearing, that compass in your mind just go, and then slowly piece it back together, it really felt like a muscle had snapped and I was learning to walk again for the first time in my life. And it, I've never felt, in a sense, more lonely um, or more isolated or more dysfunctional, lost and broken, I guess. Um, the good news is, I'm relatively sane now, um, and the, I guess the thing about that experience now, I look back and, in a sense, I don't know, grateful for it, I think, is too trite. I don't think it's, it was a trauma. Um, but I think I've come through it a better person in that I, I really now are at a point where I give very few fucks uh, on a daily basis. So I've let go of ideas whether I'm a good person, a bad person, whether I'm helping society, whether I'm hindering it. I really am just me and I'm doing what I do and that's really all that matters. And drawing breath and putting on pants in the morning is a fucking victory. So, yeah. Thanks, folks. Appreciate you listening. <laughs> Wesel Montague, isn't he fabulous? If you enjoyed that story and the other ones that you hear on the Bareface Stories podcast, do us a solid. Go to wherever you download it and review us. It's a really great way to support the arts right now because tell you what, we're struggling without being able to do live shows, but we've got plenty of cool recordings that we're going to be sending your way and it doesn't come cheap. So please... If you can, it's something free that you could do for us and it would mean the world to us. Please review us. We'd love you for it. The music that you hear on our podcast is done by Odette Mercy and her soul, Atomics. It's produced and hosted by me, Andrea Gibbs. Catch you next week. We're trolling you in and teasing you out every time. You see